Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, the original Animorphs podcast dedicated to K.A. Applegate's sci-fi classic. I'm your host, Michelle. And I'm Coleman. And ThoughtSpeak is back once again, uh, promptly in time for the wrapping up of this magnificent series. We are in the final countdown now here with these last books. And tonight, we've got a very, very special, I think, uh, change to the series canon coming. Yeah, you all weren't uh, ready for our weekly release schedule, were you? Well, that's that's what we're here to bring you, finally, after so long. <laughs> it's been a while, but I think we are uh, motivated and dedicated to the cause and just having such a good time going through these last couple of books that... Uh, we're, we're really interested in cranking them out early. And to that end, I would love to have people join our Patreon army by supporting us and helping us keep the lights on here at the ThoughtSpeak podcast. Uh, we've got a pretty large collection of, of controllers that we've enlisted to our cause, and I just want to thank them all by name real quick. We've got Nicholas Guy in our Yerk uh, level. We've got our friend Andrew, our dear friend Andrew, with us as always, the yerk he is. James Miola as a Texan. We've got Jacqueline Fisher, once again, as a Texan. Thank you. Ben Freeman, with us for a long time, our fellow Texan. And then one of our most recent patrons joining us is Penguin Tots at the hork level. Thank you all so much, and... You know, if, if you're really interested in seeing us get these books and get these uh, episodes out as fast as possible, the patron is the best way to do it. And by uh, coming and throwing your support behind us, it makes it possible for us to even keep the show going a little bit farther and maybe, uh, say, doing some interesting interviews with uh, a series creator Kay Applegate, Michael Grant, Chris Grind, friend of the show. You know, it's it's all possible. Uh, so why don't you come check out our Patreon and, and help us out. And let us know, um, you know, we, we haven't reworked the Patreon. Uh, in the past, we've given away extra episodes for being a Patreon subscriber. Or we've done live Q&As or, or things along those lines. Um, let us know in these last few books. If there's something you guys would want or something extra that we could, you know, do do a little more and, and go a little further for those who've supported us for so long. Um, I also want to give a shout out to just the reaction to our, our coming back. I mean, uh, I was expecting just a few people to listen and, and, you know, kind of our normal audience we've had in the past. Uh, but we've gotten a, a ton of listens um, for this for this resurgence, this new episode. We've gotten tons of comments on like Reddit and Twitter and and a bunch of other places. I know we've gotten at least um, a dozen or so new listeners who are like, "Oh, I didn't know about your podcast," and um, it's just great, great to see. And I think people were ready for us to come back, so um, we just had to hold strong and and not take any more year long hiatuses. <laughs> Oh, that's promising. I wasn't aware that anybody uh, <laughs> had said anything positive about us being back, but that that's terrific. And, you know, once we are done with the series proper, it's all out there and it joins the uh, pantheon of growing Animorph review 
podcasts that are out there since since which, we started doing this like eight years ago. Which I'd just like to say, um, we we've had our words about uh, the the Animorphs fandom and the other podcasts and stuff. I've gotten a chance to listen to a few of them and, and talk to um, quite a few of the creators on Twitter and. You know, I just I love what the community's turned into. All the podcasts are great. They're all just benefiting each other and uh, benefiting, you know, the the franchise and Animorphs in general and K Applegate. So, uh, if you are a current host or a former host of another podcast, Animorphs, um, just, just thank you for doing that and thank you for being a part of the community. We're we're excited and happy to wrap up ours and and join that that group of people. So, but you don't want to hear about all that. Uh, so, uh, do we have any new since the last episode? No, I don't think there's any no, new news, uh, <laughs> about Animorphs. Not news or... per se, but yeah. you know what? I just, a thought that I had was with the series winding down, uh, may- maybe there's somehow some way that we could, uh, join forces with some of the other pod, ha- uh, pod, podcast hosts or creators and, and do like, uh, uh, you know, a, a team up of sorts of of all the most popular ones, or something along those lines. Somebody did we say, all, back in the we day, we all talk about our favorite books or something. Yeah, somebody did say back in the day, um, about a Megamorphs podcast episode with all the big podcasters coming together in an episode like you're talking about. And it's it's you know, a Megamorph episode. So that would be cool. I don't so, know the. I, I don't know the online statistics for downloads or whatever, or who constitutes like the biggest, most popular ones. So I, I would be a very surprising and fun thing to meet them all. Yeah, maybe we could work it out. Um, so yeah, if you again, if you're if you're one of those podcasters, um, we're both on. Are you, are you very active on Twitter? I don't think you are very much. I, but... I have a Twitter. I don't like using it. No. Okay. Well, I'm at Coleman McClung. Uh, on Twitter, so I posted the last episode under my own handle instead of the um, our old ha- uh, Twitter handle. So reach out to me if, if that's interesting to you, and maybe we could get a big collab down uh, for just a random episode. We're, we're interested in anything that makes this time in our lives not completely go away uh, and stretching out this podcast a little bit. So, um, yeah, we're excited. That's a nice way to look at it. And you know what? Reading the Animorph series overall is like trying to make a, a period of our lives like that childhood go on forever and, and never go away. And that's my segue into talking about the Animorphs books overall, especially the one that we're going to be talking about here, which is Animorphs number 52, The Sacrifice. And uh, yeah... I'm I'm gonna show my co-host the cover. Before oh, we jump oh. into that, we are gonna do a quick ad, which again, like the Patreon, helps support the show. So give us one moment, and then we'll jump right in. And we're back. What an exciting ad read, not by me, which they have been in the past, but by my lovely wife Liz McClung, who's also a former co-host of the show for one or two episodes. <laughs> Yeah, I was very, very uh, delighted to hear her doing one of those for you. Very cool. It was cool, and she was very excited to do it. So, um, she was on Megamorphs number two with the dinosaurs. We should get Nate back. Nate's only been on for one episode way back in the day. I thought we had Nate on for two. Did we? Actually, 
Maybe. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure we had we had him on too. Our guest hosts are we, pretty. We had him on the Andalites Chronicles. Yeah. Andalite Chronicles, and then we had him on the Howler book. Which is a weird book to bring in someone who's not familiar with the Horse very much. Well, it was like a good sci-fi adventure where they're whisked away to a, an alien planet by the big evil Krayak space yeah. devil. <laughs> so it was an interesting one. I think he enjoyed it. All our co-hosts of the year. So we've had our guest hosts, I guess. We've had Liz. We've had Nate. We had Andrew. Uh, didn't we have? We had one other person. Who is just a Patreon we subscriber? Did, and and I was I was gonna say, ooh, this is dangerous territory, bud, because I don't necessarily remember every single person we've had <laughs> on the show. Look, and, whoever you are, we love you. You are a, a fine addition to the podcast. We just don't remember exactly who that was. Uh, and then Chris, Chris is a straight up co-host. He's a secret co-host. And uh, rumor has it, Chris Grine, author of the uh, graphic novels might be joining us uh, before we wrap this series up again. So we'll see how that pans out. That's excellent. And that's actually because of the Patreon. Definitely. I, I don't I don't know how I got a, a, a feeling that the Patreon was responsible for that. So somehow, thank some you way. <laughs> okay, now hold up the book cover so I can see it because I'm too lazy to Google search it. There we go. Uh, excellent. We we are moving on, folks, to book 52, The Snacrifice, as I call it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> is, is the, that because you see Aximilia as a snack? What's, what's the... <laughs> No, just because I can't, I can't say the word sacrifice anymore. Now that I know that sacrifice is a word. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, there's a great uh, axe morphing into a raccoon. I do like the color scheme of the cover. You know, we we barely ever talk about like the likes and dislikes, but like the kind of the cool purple red hues. Although, like maybe the yellow god rays are a little overboard. Um, that's that's what i was gonna say it's got some sun rays on it and like it it almost looks like a sunrise going on back mm -hmm. here a little bit but like clip art sunrise as you as you said the the purple tones and the the blue of axis fur fading into the gray of the raccoon it it actually does look pretty good Mm -hmm. uh from a color standpoint the uh the quote on the front is everyone has nightmares but what happens when the nightmares are real? Not very relevant to the plot. <laughs> I don't know what that's alluding to. <laughs> uh, the Yerks. The Yerks are scary. If you dreamed about one, you'd be scared like a nightmare. Yeah, that's a stretch. <laughs> uh, you would love for me to read the back of the book, wouldn't you? Because I've got it right here. Well, what's the, what's the inside cover? You didn't show me that. The inside cover is literally just a picture of a raccoon, but they went the extra detail route and put in the uh, transponder, transponder device. Nice. The Z-Space transponder. Mm-hmm. Well, the extra mile would have been showing some uh, yurks and morph in the background, maybe like a butterfly or, uh, you know, some kind of... A bias person owl. nearby. I think the yurks are too stupid to to morph owls, though. We don't. We haven't seen any of those, like... They don't have any. They don't have any like niche morphs. We don't see the night morph or like the super small morph, like infiltration morph. All we see is battle morphs from the Yerks. Yeah, they're not thinking of utility reasons. That's for sure. Uh, but without further ado, this is the uh, back of the book description for the sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> 
The war between the Yerks and the Animorphs is still raging. There are no more secrets, but there are plenty of lies. The kids are fighting harder than they ever thought they could, and they're about to make the biggest decision they've ever had to face, a decision that may eventually break them all. X and the Animorphs have known that the ultimate destruction of the Yerk Pool will give them a huge chance to take back Earth, and they've figured out a way to do it. But there's no way to destroy the pool without destroying everyone else that may be there. And there's no more time to think about it. There's only yes or no. Uh, I, 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 I like the description. I do. Um, it's fine. It doesn't give away too much. It's one of those descriptions it's- that feels like a, a, a strong marketing hand behind it. Because... Uh, as we'll get into with this book, um, this book goes hard, um, and it's it's not yeah. messing around. So it's it it would be hard to adequately summarize all of it as I just learned previously when I when I typed up my summary for this dang thing. <laughs> it's not an easy one to put a summary to on the back of a book. Um, something about bombs on trains and yeah. It, We'll get into birds it. Birds on trains and birds, birds on trains, trains on trains. I think. <laughs> let's let's jump into it. Start us off. Yeah, well, we'd been talking about how these books were opening more like with uh, action scenes or surveillance scenes, and that's that's what we get started out with here right away with um, Axe and Rachel and James, who's who's just a welcomed addition to the cast of characters. Boy, I, I sure hope nothing bad happens to him ever. <laughs> and I, <laughs> we can, we get them flying around the city, uh, surveying some Yurk activity going on. A little bit of a roundup situation. Nothing to really concern yourselves with, I'm sure. Just just uh, human controllers pulling people out of, out of their homes in the middle of the night or morning or whatever it is, at gunpoint, and uh, forcing them down into the subway system. I mean, and the on trains. We talk about this a lot, but the audacity of this middle grade book series that's being sold at Scholastic book fairs to be like, you know what? Let's go ahead and and let's let's go ahead and uh, you know write a reflection of the Holocaust into our books about you know kids turning into animals let's let's go ahead and do that and let's let's make it a major plot point and and revisit it over and over again uh this is i mean this is one of the most this is to to inform the listener we've talked a lot about how there were books in this series that we had not read as children or in college when we reread the series uh i missed a lot of books this is the last book in the entire series i hadn't read before going into this podcast and i held off until last week I read my last Animorphs book that I'd never read before. And the fact that I missed how many insane things are in this book, and, and this is one of them. This is one of the darkest moments in the entire series in a book I'd never read before. Uh, them them forcing just normal people out of their homes and, and putting them on a train to the York Pool. It's, it's dark in a lot of ways. Yeah, it definitely has some historic undertones. Um but th- this is one of those situations where the team knows uh, right away that this is a huge Yerk plot for mass infestation of uh, of the people. They're they're no longer concerned with their secret war, and now they're just blatantly 
collecting people rounding them up and pushing them toward that yerk pool um rachel as always wants to intervene and you know go down and start a fight and that's exactly what they do they get pulled into one because again they've got more uh morph capable controllers now attacking as birds as they do yeah they're Um, more on the lookout for any type of animal but the animorphs haven't gotten used to that being on their end as well like watching out for hawks and, and everything else so they're Definitely getting a taste of their own medicine here. And Rachel is digging for a fight anyway. I was surprised, again, having not read this book before. Um, I thought we were kind of at least somewhat done with the the Rachel is, you know, going too far with her love of the war and her, her bloodthirstiness after the return, her last book. Um, but I think this book, more than any other in the entire series, really paints Rachel as lost. She's She's not going to make it psychology wise um after this war is over she's too into it she's going too far she's not listening to any orders that don't come from jake anymore like i was really surprised i I had not seen this side of rachel before in the entire series yeah she's a little bit of uh like a too high leveled pokemon she just can't be controlled (laughs) (laughs) that's that's an oversimplification of it but well you got her in a trade you know, it, it went over the GBA link cable and you weren't expecting, uh, you know, a Charizard that wouldn't listen to you. So, <laughs> well, well, she's she's real out of control and itching for a fight. And it, it spills down into the subway station and they're fighting on a moving train at one point. It's it's a really cool action uh, piece for the beginning of the book. Um, and James even gets to show off a moment where he's where he's super useful in the fight and uh a, a cooler moment involves axe uh kind of catching one of these hawk morphed controllers off guard and um before he can kill him the the controller pleads with him for his life and says you know he's so close to being free which to him is being trapped in morph so he can just fly away and get out of the fighting and Axe is very conflicted about this, but, you know, he, he does, I think, a very human thing and sympathizes for a moment and lets him go. Um, and then, you know, it, it indicates that maybe he didn't make it because of Rachel. But Do you think it was Rachel or James? Because James, first off, did not know that James's battle morph was a lion. What a cool mirror of David, because James is the did- first... Huh? How did you not know his? How did you not know his battle morph was lion? Is that in a in a, in a book further back? It was in Cassie's last okay. book where they. Well, maybe I the, I just and, forgot. And they specifically said, Jake Jake, if he if he noticed that James picked a lion, Jake didn't say anything or didn't acknowledge. Yeah. Him. Okay. Well, that's that's my bad as a terrible Animorphs fan, but I had forgotten, and I just like <laughs> to touch on it again. How cool of a reflection that is to David. Um, but in this scene, I think it, um, I think it does say that he comes around the corner with blood on his, uh, mouth, his, his snout and stuff. So it could have been James, it could have been Rachel, who knows? Yeah. Um, either way, (laughs) it's just like, you know, Axe's, um, sympathy doesn't go very far. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But when they get to, uh, a kind of a save point in the battle, um, they're, they're, pressed to either what Rachel wants to do, continue going on fighting more or 
uh, Axe is ready to get out of there and report back. And it's a good transition point um, for the book to go to the next scene um, because we don't believe that this action is going to extend any further. Uh, and sure enough, the next scene, they're all back at the, the base camp um, place, which I had a hard time writing my summary. Do I want to refer to this as their base or their camp? Because they literally refer to it as camp. That's it, the, it's the Park Bajir Free Valley. You know, we we reference it all the time. Um, I will say you brought up a good point the other day after we read the book and we're talking about it a little bit. Uh, this book really has a different structure than the rest of the series. It really kind of goes to a different, um, you know, you have action beat and then moment and then action beat and then, but it's not a setup for a mission like normal. Um, the whole Yerkpool part of it gets thrust on them. And then almost the main mission is kind of like breaking into the base, which we're going to see here in a minute. But just a cool thing off the start to see a more freeform flow to the book than we're, we're used to seeing. Yeah, it definitely uh, breaks a few of the more typical formulas that they go with for these things. Um, but I mean, we've seen we've seen the, the action opening and then more of like the mission sort of what's going on this week scene that we're about to get. But like I said, writing the summary for this thing was huge because so much happens. There's there's all this dialogue and the characters are talking and like lots and lots of good character. It's almost like a real book. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What? they're back at the the base and they're filling everybody in on this mass infestation train plan and they're thinking about what to do and really fairly quickly marco floats the idea of just like loading a train up with a nuke or a bomb and blowing up the whole thing and um nobody can really like think of a better plan i mean they they consider that and then it's kind of like well it just sort of makes the most sense to really like attack that crucial resource of theirs well, that they need. The Yerks messed up in the sense that it's an escalation of their plans. But um, in the past, there was a bottleneck to how you could enter the Yerk pool, and they had such great security at every entrance to the Yerk pool that it really did ha- make the Animorphs think twice about any attack on the Yerk pool. But having mass transit uh, and multiple entries into the Yerk pool and them being like brand new caves and, and tunnel systems and stuff um, that probably don't have the level of security as the as the normal entrances. Uh, it's it's like a perfect storm. Um, and Marco's idea makes sense because of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's I mean, it's totally a plan that they could have never done before. Um, I'm sure if ramrodding a bomb down into the York pool was an option earlier, they they might have thought about it. They should have taken um, over the blade ship and then just like crashed it into the earth over the York pool and two birds one stone. There you go. Yeah, something like that. Or they could have come up with some plot involving the I don't know chi or something. Just the chi can't fight, but just set up a chi at every entrance to the York pool and make them stand there. And not move. And no one would be able to move them because they're future android dogs. So it'd block every entrance. Done. 
Don't they have a, a self-destruct mechanism? Couldn't they technically Don't worry about blow that. up the G? No. <laughs> no, no. Create just, a large scale explosion. The Yerks would be like, we can't get past this this robot. It's not going to work. Well, the the really cool thing about like the the setup or, or the central conflict, I guess, for this plot um, is, is Axe and whether or, or not he still feels like working with his human friends and the, and the humans in general and tensions are building between all of the characters uh, because as soon as the, the bomb thing is uh, thrown out there, of course, Cassie has objections because of safety reasons and that causes fractures between her and X and her and Jake. And it leads to a big, uh, spillover event finally, where it's revealed that Cassie was the one who gave the uh, morphing technology to the Yerks, and this hits Axe really hard because the Andalites really don't take kindly to traitors, people they deem traitors. Yeah, relationships were already uh, pretty, pretty stressed and strained before this book, but um, again, it's great that we're in Axe's perspective for this book because. Um, to him, it's not just a betrayal by Cassie, which he says, like, you know, he can't feel anything but hatred towards her in that moment. Um, he sees it. The fact that they're even continuing a conversation with her and listening to her input after that revelation, he he's ready to turn on all the Animorphs and humanity in general. He's done. Uh, pretty big deal. And I, I like how, as we get further in the book, we realize, uh, just as he does, that his brother did the same thing that Cassie did and that's that's what brings him around you know oh that's yeah that's a very good way of looking at it i i was i was envisioning this book or or the feeling i got after it was like seeing axe go to his lowest depths of not liking or distrusting humans and then watching him kind of work in real time to reason why he actually does love them and has learned mm-hmm. so much from them and has come to sympathize with them. And as he even says, you know, I I don't actually hate you, Cassie. Like, and I think she knew that. It's a very sweet kind of um, moment for Axe or, or arc to his character that's, I think, kind of properly concluded here with, with him deciding, you know, what side he needs to take. Again, it's him. It's almost him turning into his brother. I mean, it's it's him because um, obviously Alfangor uh, went through a whole adventure that made him kind of appreciate humanity and, and want to save them. And Axe goes through almost a similar adventure in this book, reckoning with his feelings about Andalites, about humans. And it really, for the first time, he's relating to his brother on an emotional level, which is like, yeah, it's really sweet to see that arc happen. And there's a moment later we'll talk about specifically with Cassie that I really liked, but let's move along. I, I, yeah, I think we're yeah. going to get stopped every two seconds of this book. Cause it's so good. No, you got a good point. And X's relationship with the whole team is already pretty strained. Like because of the, the whole bombing incident, uh, and not following Jake's orders, you know, there's knocking that. Jake out. <laughs> <laughs> this this book really drives the tension between him and Cassie, but also him and Rachel. I mean, 
he has nothing but nasty things to say about Rachel through most of this book. And you get the impression that, you know, they, they wouldn't necessarily be hanging out. If you think about it, X's real only friends at this point is Tobias and maybe Marco, whose real joy is kind of probably making fun of him more than, well, you know, real friend X stuff. About Rachel, X even says that if they if she were an Andalite and they were in the military, uh, Rachel would have been would have been, you know, like kicked out a long time ago and like put in a special place because she's become so bloodthirsty and psychotic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, nothing kind to say about about her. But uh after all of this information has slipped out, Axe is like like in a really bad mood and he's like, No, no, I'm I'm out. I can't even deal with this. And he goes and grabs his phone and he, he's gotta go call his his Andalite buddies. Um, so he, he goes and calls up, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, Prince Jaham well, Estelan Forlan. You forgot to mention that he morphs that once. the book cover animal raccoon to do so. I this didn't even, the... I didn't even mean to mention it. It's so irrelevant. It's relevant in the sense that it's the book cover. Like, it's not even like something they use later on to like solve a problem or something. He literally just walks through the woods and says, like, oh, this is one of my favorite new morphs because the hands are kind of the same to mine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's the only it's time in the whole so book he morphs raccoon. It's crazy. <laughs> so, of course, yeah, this, this is the scene uh, of him calling the Andalites. And he gives a little kind of sort of recap or an update on the situation about what's going on on Earth with the Yerks. And... Uh, the the Andalites, their their big plan to save Earth turns out to be quarantine, which as X understands, uh it, it's it's actually going to be another genocide. <laughs> yeah, they they because of Earth and how many humans there are and how many potential hosts and uh the sector of the galaxy it's in and all of that, it, it he reasons that the Andalites won't actually be able to quarantine it. It's too close to other plants. It's too too spread out. Um, so he knows that to be a lie, and that it'll eventually lead to them just wiping out humans and a potential host for the Yerks, which sounds very Andalite to me. <laughs> yeah, well, and I like the way that they phrased it. They they said we're gonna just uh, we're gonna help out. We're gonna come in. We're gonna do a little quarantine. We're gonna mediate peaceful symbiosis between yeah. the humans and the Yerks, and it's all gonna be good. <laughs> And, you know, Axe gets cut off by uh, some York bug fighters that have intercepted the signal. And Axe doesn't get to tell them uh, about the Yerks having the morph technology yet. Um, and I don't think he was he was going to at that point. Um, so he's kind of sort of still playing a, a double agent of sorts, um, figuring out where his loyalties should lie. And he's uh, not yet ready to take this information to his friends. Um, but he, he's not feeling very good about either camps that he's fallen in with at this moment. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, the idea of um, even if the Andalites weren't lying, the idea of um, aiding a symbiotic relationship is pretty messed up, you know, because we're at the end of the day humans still aren't going to have a choice in that situation. It's just going to be, all right, you guys are hosts now. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much like sacrificing the humans. Whoa, to, it's like yeah, the sacrifice. 
Oh my gosh, do you think that's what it's alluding to? I have no idea what the what the sacrifice is referencing otherwise, so maybe. Oh, because I just pulled that out of nowhere, but yeah, wow. Maybe. Well, if you think about Axe, I mean, if he makes any sacrifice, maybe it's talking about his Andalite allegiances. Maybe that's the sacrifice he's making, or... Um, I mean, he's choosing to go down into the Yurk pool. That's a sacrifice. I don't know. I, yeah, um, there could be a lot of things. Uh, the, the idea that they've come up with in order to acquire the amount of explosives that it would take to, to blow up the Yurk pool, um, is mostly conveniently all located in the, uh, nearby National Guard base that, uh, Marco and his dad were able to find on the map and um, Cassie's uh, again just not having a good time with any of this mission plan um, so her and Jake get into this big argument here and, and this is where the, the secret comes out that uh, she was the one who gave the morphine cube away and it, it actually in a weird way it leads to the reconciliation of Jake and Cassie mm-hmm. um, because he's, while well, he's mad at her, um, everybody else instantly is mad at her. And Jake is the only one who switches over to comforting her. Um, and he kind of realizes is, that you know, in every other decision Cassie makes, he trusts her. And he even says in this book that he, he feels like next to him, um, she's the closest who who thinks like him and has the same like emotional decisions and and leadership skills, which we've never heard Cassie talked about like that before. So that was pretty cool. Hmm. Um, and then after this scene, we get Axe confronting her, right, making her talk about it and and asking her directly, um, why she did it, right? Yeah, yeah. They they slip away after that public scene, and uh, he he asks her why she'd betray everybody you know and um she gives kind of a long uh answer (laughs) well i want to talk about this for a second because again a book i hadn't read before um i think this might be one of the most important aspects of the entire series like this this story point um cassie says to axe that she gave it away because she doesn't know exactly why but she feels like giving the morphing technology is actually going to lead to the Yurks no longer being an enemy. Um, she, she, you know, we, we know Ciro's kindness. We know all of that. Um, but she thinks that, that the Yurks having another option because she's already aware of the Yurk, um, the Yurks who have secretly been working against the Yurk invasion this entire time. She's seen other examples yeah. of Yurks who don't want to just infest people and be parasites. So by giving them the technology, it gives them this third option that they've never had before. And I love it because it it basically flips the whole series on its head. The idea that, um, Ciro's kindness, giving giving the technology to another alien species doesn't have to lead to them becoming enemies. If you take it one step further and really share the technology and really share uh, civilization with another species um, they could become your greatest ally they could become truly a better species it's it's a really important you know moment in the entire series and I can't believe I missed out on it 
Yeah, totally. Uh, Cassie's onto something here because this whole resource war could have been um, renegotiated or, or things could have worked out differently um, had they just given the Yerks maybe non-parasitic bodies or something. I don't know. Make them Andalites. Who, who knows? Well, it's, you know? if you think about it, the, the real world equivalent, it'd be like a U.S. soldier or general handing a nuke over to Japan in the end of World War II. Like, our greatest weapon, the thing that ended the war, if one of our allies handed think, it to the enemy. I think weapon type plays a big significant It does. I don't know how, how you could... You know, if somebody came to, to the U.S. forces and was like, hey, if we give a nuclear device away, uh, the Japanese or enemies are going to use it to you know, create sustainable power or something like that. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's crazy. And it's something that would never happen. And that person would be, you know, executed for treason instantly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a real world scenario, probably. And I could imagine why the Andalites would be such dicks and not want to give out their morphing technology, even though it could make all of these alien species whose lives suck, like the Texans, it mm-hmm. could make them all better. Yep. You know, they they could just fix all the we'll, crap. We'll talk things. more about that in the next book, definitely. Oh, a hundred percent. But uh, like you said, this is this is a great start, uh, a great like foot in the door for this whole. Maybe the the morphing technology could be shared properly. Uh, tangent that that will go on here towards the end of the series. Um, but their their conversation very much leaves Axe uh more confused than anything um luckily uh tobias comes in here and also reveals that he was um uh spying on x's phone call the other night um (laughs) and uh while while you know x is having his forlorn do i trust or like humans thoughts um, X gave him a, a couple words of advice and I just want to read like one little paragraph of it because I think it, it doesn't apply to just like aliens situations. It, it applies to a lot more. Know, let me, let me see if you, the uh, dear listener draw something from this. Okay. Got an incoming live read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Tobias, uh, they're talking about whether or not, you know, like sharing DNA is okay. So that's the context here. But um, Tobias says, this is too hard to explain right now. Tobias said, I just mean that we don't really have time-tested rules for dealing with these issues, like the morality of acquiring someone's DNA. So we have to see what works and what doesn't. We can't afford to get so locked into one idea that we defend it to the death without really knowing if that idea works in the real world. Um, so, I, like I said, that, that could be applied to so many other things beyond whether it's okay to take somebody's human DNA, you know? Well, I think it, it goes to the root of at least what the Applegates are trying to say about humanity. Um, the Yerks are very stuck in their ways. The Andalites are very stuck in their ways. The thing that separates humanity is that we question our own, um, ideologies, which is very unique, you know, within this universe. 
So that's that's kind of what makes us special is that we can uh, believe something for years and years and then and then start to question it and change our minds. Yeah, it's very cool. And I I just think it's a good piece of advice. Don't don't get too uh, stuck in one frame of mind that you rule out other possibilities or or you straight up don't even know that other possibilities exist. If you've ever gone on Twitter and thought tooth and nail for some dumb movie plot that you hated, think again. Maybe maybe you're not bettering the world by only sticking into that one thought. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. dare to be stupid that's right um the the next scene is uh kind of just like the start of this big roller coaster ride to the end of this book and it was it was really hard to put down but um the the animorphs are putting together their biggest raid party yet um of over 30 soldiers they've got animorphs they've got the auxiliaries um a, a whole bunch of hork and now we get these awesome scenes where their parents are joining them on missions mm-hmm. uh we've we've got tobias's mom we've got marco's dad and mom former you know visitor one yeah eva and uh did I say Cassie's parents? Cassie's, Cassie's parents, parents are there. Yeah. Rachel's mom. And Rachel's yeah. mom. Uh, so, so basically I... all the parents except for Jake's who's are missing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I will say I really liked how they built up how scared everyone was going into the mission. I mean, like the Animorphs have gone into some pretty terrifying missions before. They really thought they were going to like lose some numbers here, uh, like lose some main characters. Like they built it up as in like, you know, this either works or, or a lot of us are going to die. Yeah, yeah, that's the cool thing about this point in the series is now that the cast is more than just the main kids, all of these side characters are technically expendable. If not dying, getting captured by the Yurks and then I, turned into controllers. If I have a regret of the series so far um, towards the end is I wish we could have gotten a book from James' perspective or one of the auxiliary Animorphs. I mean, we to do an episode... That is just the I want that book ideas that we had to pitch because an episode from James's perspective would have been killer. And I think you and I could have both come up with some pretty cool concepts. He's a really interesting character. He's he's the only character in the series who, again, started out paralyzed and the morphine healed him. And he has to still live as a paralyzed person in the hospital. Mm -hmm. That's messed up and would have been really interesting to get his perspective. And the fact that he's dealing with the fact that the Animorphs barely trust him because the last time they trusted somebody with this technology, uh, they tried to kill him. So he's always kind of like living on the edges of the team, you know? It would have been really awesome to have a book that followed him as he, you know, returned to the hospital and played the role. Mm -hmm. And then just over the course of the book, you slowly saw him uh, catch glimpses or, or like pieces of like the other Animorphs mentioning David and like he could just put it together without them outright telling them like, oh, we tried this earlier. And I I can't remember if they actually mentioned it before. They I might think have they do. I think what they briefly. do in the book. Yeah, I think they talk about how they trusted someone before and it didn't work out. It, it could be a whole book about him kind of learning that story and being like, well, it could also oh, wow. be a book 
it could also be a book where he says the wrong thing or does something on a mission that makes them not trust him. And then the Animorphs like come after him. So it'd be a reverse David situation where he's like worried the Animorphs are around every corner and watching him and like don't trust him anymore. That would have been I, cool. The the end of the series wouldn't have enough time for a filler book no. quite like that. But just just a, a little one off with uh with him to expand on him and his team and the dynamic between you know it's it's so late in the series. But I want to see another character become a leader. If I can go on one more tangent, how interesting uh, would have been? Okay. How interesting would have been if one of these auxiliary animorphs, um, who might have been like terminal like didn't have a lot of time to live uh, dealing with the idea of them morphing and turning into a Nothlet to survive their terminal illness. That would have been a really interesting book. Yeah, there you go. See, we're going to have a huge list of these. What if, what if we had this? What mm-hmm. if we had this story? <laughs> what if what if we had a book where the animorphs didn't do a mission and they just hung out as animals all day and ate pie <laughs> i don't want that book yeah you do you can't deny it so or maybe i should have said spam because of this scene coming up <clears throat> mm. but segway the are on their way to this mission right and uh, uh it, it's cool incorporating the parents is a good idea uh marco's dad plays like mvp of this mission with his acting skills and uh flags down a passing convoy of national guard trucks um and they just kind of pretend that their lost hiker is in distress and then everybody hides out and hitches a ride on the trucks and they get inside the base um and once they're in it's kind of like the search and find mission um they're not really concerned with like really masking their presence there. Like as soon as they fan out, one of the very first things Axe does is go to check out the the warehouse that he was told to. And uh, right off the bat, he just demorphs in front of some people, some soldiers. And uh, they have a pretty good reaction, all things considered. Um, in fact, I think the reactions that they get from all of the soldiers and like civilians, everybody that they demorph in front of is always really interesting from this point on. Um, so the, it starts a, a little bit of an action scene, barely an action scene. I mean, they dispose of these guards pretty quick and it kind of just leads to a gag of them finding a whole warehouse full of spam. Yeah, rations and, and you know, the supplies of the base. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of a hunt for, for the weapons they're looking for, which is good if it would have been convenient where they got them um it would have been less realistic so it's still kind of weird that they're all in one place but you know if it's a sizable base and i don't know why they have so much dynamite on hand but um you know it's definitely realistic that you can you can put enough dynamite together and enough explosives to equal the equivalent blast of a of a you know megaton nuke or 50 megaton mood nuke so that part works out and uh and yeah, they finally find the right warehouse and trying to figure James out James who finds it. Uh-huh. And they're trying to figure out like, okay, well, how do we get these things out of here? Yeah, they had all kinds of math figured out, apparently. I wouldn't have gone that far, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> so they figure out exactly how much of, of the explosives they need to uh take and load up on this truck to get out of there and um it's kind of like a tense, like, hurry up and go, because, you know, we're still 
doing something highly illegal and and you know there's the threat of something going wrong um and something does go wrong because during their escape the the national guard captain shows up and kind of cuts everybody off and gives rachel a nice opportunity to display exactly how crazy she is as she uh yanks the steering wheel from her mom and uh puts her foot down on the pedal to try and run the dude down and is only I, I like stopped this. at the last second by axe. Yeah, I like it because it Rachel's literally overpowering her mom. I mean, that's not only is she going crazy and and wanting to just run them over so they can get out and and be the hero or whatever, but uh, you know, the person who raised her, her mother, she's literally overpowering her just to do this thing and it's i don't know emotionally and and relationship wise i thought that was really interesting and it's just another way to show you yeah how far she's gone yeah you're right it shows you the depths that she's sunk to now where it's not just when she's out on a mission in anamorph mode which i guess she technically is here but uh you would think that her mother would have a little bit of an influence over her behavior when they're together and that is not the case she's still going psycho now the scene with the colonel um is interesting because you think like captain captain sorry uh it's interesting because not only do we learn about the governor from the last book and her fate the fact that uh it was wildly covered up as um uh a trick or you know her her speech to the world was a hoax yeah um but we learn, we really think like, oh, there's no way they're going to talk their way out of this. There's no way uh, this isn't going to end in a big fight like we're expecting, like happens in so many Animorphs books similar to this, except they're going to be fighting mostly humans as far as they know. Um, but I really liked that Rachel's mom, who has been a thorn in their side ever since they, you know, rescued her and freed her. Um, she has a moment here where she gets to kind of save the day. Yeah, yeah, it was a great scene. Um, first of all, because Jake and Axe go and and fill the captain in on all the details that they, of course, need to know. And uh, it, it's just such a great scene of everything going as right or as well as it could when they reveal this huge truth to people. And the the fact that rachel's mom got to come in and vouch for jake Mm -hmm. and give credibility to everything he's saying to this guy um is is cool for two reasons one because uh like you said she's just been nothing but kind of an antagonistic uh uh joke more or less on lawyers uh and and now she's doing that she's being useful um and uh, we also get the uh as far as things going right for the animorphs we even get the 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 one controller who's there at least who reveals himself take a shot at jake or about to shoot him which validates their story even more to the captain yep yep it's just serving for more proof of what jake has to say um so the cool thing is uh it it totally works and they get this captain olston um, which is super close to my last name on their on their side. And he decides to help them fill up the, the truck, gives them all the explosives and multiple trucks. Uh, yeah. th- they they 
are still on this ticking clock of a mission. And when they're done with that, they, um, the team gets their like tender goodbye moments with all of their parents and it's sweet. It's bittersweet. But uh, Jake, who has no one, is left to pair off with Axe, who similarly has no one. And uh, it's it's just kind of sweet and bittersweet, like it's I said. It's a nice moment between them. Um, I, I do really like that the, the captain is not only letting them go, uh, him and his forces are going to join them on the mission, which is awesome. We've never seen that before. Uh, yeah, really... them working with government troops. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so they, they take the trucks and they, they head downtown, um, to find a subway tunnel that's connected to the, to the York pool. And, um, this again goes really well for them. They find one that only has, it's not one of the loading zones where they're hauling people in. It's just one of the ones they're going to use or are already used. And it is pretty much clear other than a few, few controllers. Yeah, it's like nonstop action scenes from here on to the end of the book. They they have to battle their way down into the subway. And uh, when the, the train shows up and deposits all these controllers, they they um, have a bunch of morph capable ones. So there's like a Which rhino and a polar we, bear. Yeah, we talked last last episode about how you didn't think they morphed anything big. We got a polar bear and a rhino in this one. So they're they're going full battle morphs. Exactly, and uh, even a surprising moment uh, for Jake, who's who's prompted by Rachel to attack them before they completed their morph, and Jake says, no, we give them a fair fight. Um, and earlier, Jake said something really, really uh, nice, I guess, where they're debating the morality of what's involved with blowing up the Yurt Pool and all of that, and he said, we're, we're going to adopt a new motto from now on, which is we defeat the Yerks, we don't become them. Yeah. And that 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 is going to be a driving force um, from here on out. And it's actually going to tie into something in the next book. That's yeah. That's a big, big event for, for one thing, them not becoming the Yerks. One thing we haven't mentioned yet is how Cassie got on board with this whole plan is they decided, talking in that discussion about morality... They decided that um, they would warn the Yerks once they got down into the pool. Like they already have such a tight timeline. They decide that once they get down there and crash the train in, they're going to warn the Yerks and give them five minutes to get everyone out. Which, if you're trying to cause as much damage as possible, they shouldn't have done that. But it's a way to, again, separate themselves from their enemy. Yeah, very good point. Um, that that was the sort of morality clause that that made Cassie go along with the mission. Um, Before they jump into the train, though, I want to point out they fight these controllers, and this is the moment that uh, a lot of the controllers turned into wolves. And oh yeah, when when the National Guard comes down to help them, they just open fire on most of the animals. I don't know how they differentiated the animorphs from them, but they killed a ton of these wolves and Axe just assumes that they couldn't tell Cassie from the other wolves and that she got caught in the fire. And Axe, it's really great because it's real. We talked about this being a real time um, scene. Axe changes mind about humanity and, and what it means and, and like their decision to give the morphing cube. This is the first time we see just a, a blatant reaction from Axe where he's just overcome with emotion and worry for Cassie. And this cements, um, you know, him worried about her being dead and like grieving for her 
cements his his ideology and and putting in his card with the animars i never got to tell her i loved her yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no no for, for one thing i i think that um hopefully jake discussed you know their their fighting tactics and gave olsen all their information for like okay so when we get there we all have these battle morphs look be on the lookout for these animals and avoid them with your gunfire, please. And by the way, we've got like 17 or or 20 some auxiliary anamorphs all in these morphs that you're going to want to avoid too. But Look, one yeah. of the auxiliary anamorphs is a chinchilla. We told him it's a terrible battle morph, <laughs> but he he really likes it. So just don't shoot the chinchilla. If you see one over there taking a an ash bath or whatever they're called. <laughs> Just, just ignore it. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, it really is a beautiful moment. Yeah. And uh, they, they, Jake and Cassie just like reappear and they're like, come on, X, we got to go do the thing, you know? And so it's, we knew X or we knew Cassie wasn't going to be dead here, but uh, it, it did give X that moment of reaction where he realized there might be some loss and i think it made him realize his true feelings um but after after all of the fighting subsides they need to make this decision about who's gonna ride the train down to the yurk pool with the bombs and make sure that, that they're properly delivered and that the detonator is time to go off and uh as it as it comes down to it they they discuss it a little bit and Marco, Cassie, and Axe are the lucky ones that get picked solely because uh, Jake was absolutely necessary. They couldn't risk him. And uh, I think they just didn't want Rachel to go because she wasn't going to be the right person to well, she's uh, just... do what was required here. Yeah, and she's making some some poor choices, some poor life choices uh, that they've seen recently. So she's too much of a wild card for this mission. And it's crazy to see three animorphs go into the situation being like, we don't really see a great way to get out of this alive, but we'll try. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this could be one of those goodbye, goodbyes, mm -hmm. you know, if, if things don't go well. Um, but you know, it's, it's a very tender moment and there's just so many good character moments in this book. It's hard to believe this is a ghost written book. Mm -hmm. Um, if you didn't know that this, this one is, and then the next one, well, all the rest of the books are K.A. Applegate. I have to think though, that, uh, the Applegates probably had a heavier hand on these last few books though. Um, besides yeah. the ones they actually wrote, I mean, these, these ones leading up to it, they were probably a lot more involved in the outlines and, and kind of some of the moments. I think I think their outline for this one must have been extremely detailed, especially as it pertains to the characters and how they're feeling about each yeah. other. Um, a, a lot of that in this. Yeah, it's a really uh, big it's a really important book for for their mindset and their teamwork uh, going into the end of the fight. Right. It is kind of like um, in the beginning, it seemed very much like a whole breakdown, a degradation of the Animorphs team. And then through these missions, they really aren't any worse off than they'd ever been. I mean, it might be some of the best teamwork I've ever seen from the team, actually. Um, but they, they go on fighting the controllers on the train and route to the pool. And 
after this fight, they they have to make the decision again who like who's going to be the one to stay and arm the bomb while the others just kind of uh, escape and and help free people. Axe um, learns how to flip a coin to decide something, I, which is nice. I, yeah, he learns what a coin flip is. Um, the the scene where they're crashing into the Eric pool is kind of cool because to survive that. They just go bug. They just go like flee. And if you think about it, that that when theoretically, I think, wouldn't kill a bug. <laughs> would, yeah, would a Cassie, bug die in a train accident? Cassie goes roach. Marco goes flee. Um, I think Axe goes roach as well, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he does. Yeah, I think um, they were roach. And and then Axe has to has the extra complication of he has to make sure like his finger is the last thing that morphs so that he can push the button right before it crashes um yeah sounds like more of a cassie job but oh well (laughs) yeah and yeah i think uh i think they're just like we don't know if we're gonna survive this but uh the gravitational forces shouldn't kill us or rip us apart (laughs) so we'll try the the good news is if we do survive it we are in the pool (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and yeah this is an amazing scene i just if there was ever any kind of live action adaptation, this would be incredible to see the train hit the stop and then jackknife flip over into the pool. I mean, ugh, so one amazing. thing I wasn't clear on was how many cars did it ever specify how many cars were on this train? Because I had a hard time picturing it. If it's is it one car hitting the thing and going or is it a whole connection of train cars i pictured it's a normal it's a a normal like new york disaster it's a normal like new york subway if they're in like san francisco or something um you know that's gonna be it's not gonna be like a monorail it's gonna be a series of train cars so probably like five california and i didn't think california had subways yeah la and and san francisco have underground subways okay i didn't know that yeah I don't know about like San Diego. I think them. I think the I think the inference is that the Animorphs live in San Diego. So I don't know if San Diego has a network, but uh, they've written most of the rest of the series to line up with a Southern California city. So I can't imagine this is any different. Oh, I thought they were in Northern California. Who knows? I mean, they're never or, super or clear on it. Foresty. Well, there's well, there's, there's mountains and forests. Yeah, I, maybe <laughs> I somewhere. Make vague ge- geographical statements. Uh, I'd like to apologize for my podcaster's use of the word "vag" because it's a very a very Minnesotan pronunciation of that word. Ah, uh, come on! <laughs> Vague would be how I think most people would pronounce it. What you talking about? <laughs> um, but anyway, this is an amazing scene. Uh, one thing you pointed out that you loved and I agree with is you know they morph back to human really quick or andalite, um, and Cassie comes up out of the water pulling a yerk out of her ear you know right before it gets in i i could have i could have had more scenes of that throughout the series i, I mm-hmm. really do think it's a terrifying thought to be submerged into the yerk pool and they they could have done that you know once a book and i think it would have been frightening each time uh but it, it's great to see here yeah um anytime a character takes a drink in the uh the old yerk pool is is kind of a frightening thing but she did really well uh, i think for having just survived a train crash into uh what is often described as like a molten sludge full of slugs that are trying to 
weigh you down and and get your ear holes below water. Yeah. Um, they, they start to free the captives from their cages, and Cassie stands up on the the sinking train and gives everybody a good warning that they have four minutes to to get the heck out of there. And while they're running around and uh, just trying to help people get out of the chaos, it's beautiful. There's like other controllers that are helping people get out. You see, you know, like they had no idea of knowing who was a controller and who wasn't. Yeah, Axe. But the people that they were freeing started freeing people. Yeah, Axe was really moved by this. And it's just another instance of him being like, well, maybe what Cassie said has some merit. If these controllers are willing to free hosts and probably not voluntary hosts then maybe there is some hope i haven't thought of within the york race yeah exactly it it does uh kind of evoke a whole other um scene that's that's in with that theme of the book that mm-hmm. seeing like humans and and everybody just kind of working together regardless of what side they're on and uh it, it's 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 over really quickly, I will say. It's funny because um, Visor One starts to rise out of the Yurk pool. Yeah, we get our we get our normal Visor One appearance, where you know he just coincidentally shows up. But it's it's a turn on that in the sense that he shows up and they're like, "Hey, Visor, we're all gonna die in like three minutes, so bring it on." You know, you can either run or you can fight us and die with us. We don't we don't even care. And Visor's like, "Oh, uh, see you later." <laughs> Yeah, I imagine it, you know, he's in this, like, giant, it's described octopus. as, like, a tentacled yeah. octopus kind of thing. I imagine it as, like, one of those big Koroks from the Legend of Zelda series. Oh, yeah. Like, yep. one of those squid things. <laughs> and he just kind of pops up and is like, I'm going to get you. And then Marco's, like, taps his taps. His we don't care. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of sinks back in. And, oh, no, not this time. It's like an animatronic on Jungle Cruise. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good description. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. So there, there is no Visor 1 battle for this book, conveniently, no. which is good because the rest of the two books in this series are going to deal do with think, that pretty well. I do think this next scene uh, is also pretty terrifying, uh, where they talk about Yurk, Human, hork Everyone is just pouring into these tunnels that lead out of the Yerk pool and trampling each other. People are probably dying and, and you know, it's it's scary chaos, like the kind of chaos you don't see very often where people are they know they're about to die or they think they're about to die and they don't care who's in front of them. You know, it's it's no, it's like a mentality. Trample. Yeah, um, it's even scarier when you think about the fact like Horkbajir and Taxons are in that mix. And then tons oh, God, of yeah. and tons of animals because all of the morph capable controllers have morphed birds and other things to run out of here. So it's yeah, this it's this probably a whole flock of birds getting down the tunnels. I mean, it's a weird, scary bloodbath. <laughs> I I wish they had um, actually given a little bit more information on how many of them got out because mm-hmm. it's it's never really stated how successful their evacuation efforts were here at the end. You have to imagine thousands of people, controllers and humans died here, you know? 
Oh yeah, I imagine the casualties were greater than the survivors. The, Here's one the thing: lucky ones that made it out were the anamorphs. This might be more end of the book talk or, or beginning of next book talk. Um, but one thing they never explain is, you know, the York pool blows up and it creates this giant crater that consists of like downtown, the mall. They probably killed a lot of people on the surface with this. Oh God, this yeah, explosion. yeah. Like that, that, and that's the end scene here in the book is them uh, surveying the damage that sinkhole that you just mentioned, and and the massive crater that's uh, engulfing their whole town. And I, I like you said, there were so many cars, people driving by on yeah. the street. Because it's not the suburbs or anything, and maybe it was like you know middle of the night or early morning or something, so it would be less people. But if anyone lives in apartments downtown or anything like that, they're all gone, you know? <laughs> they, you know, they did say a lot of it was the mall campus. So The mall in downtown. Took up a because the down, they say that the skyscrapers are, like, falling into each other and stuff. So it, it's a decent amount of downtown. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I just imagine this uh, scene really well as they're they're flying around um they come to land on one of these uh, skyscrapers that's fallen apart and as they're sitting there surveilling the crater that used to be their town the blade ship kind of hovers into sight oh, so like, cool. right in front of the moon and it's like go down for the final boss it's mm-hmm. like teasing it right there and yep. uh i think this is where um the the whole point of the book is, you know, X comes to decide that um, if his human friends are willing to blow up most of their town to save humanity, then they they might be all right after all. <laughs> and so he's 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 turned back to his more favoring uh, opinion on humans. It's it's very much like many of the ghostwritten books. It's very much resetting the board as far as like their relationships and how everyone's feeling. But I think it does it in such an interesting and, um, you know, layered way. I'm okay with it. You know, I don't think it's just resetting because, oh, well, now the Applegates are about to take over and end the series. I think it was like a really smart and, and clever book and how it handled everything. So, um, you know, even though in, in, the board is flipped over in the fact that no one can call it a hoax now when a giant, you know, spaceship parks itself over a major U.S. city. <laughs> right. And especially after most of the downtown area collapsed into a giant sinkhole and there's alien corpses laying around and it's undeniable now. But I really appreciate the um, kind of cycle of of axe's character arc here and um i think they they put him in a good spot as far as his uh friendship with the team goes for going into the finale um i'm I'm glad they you know they left off his previous book with him um disobeying orders and Mm -hmm. it, it had seemed like his character arc was going to be that of like Willy or won't he yeah. be on the human side in the end where it comes down to it. And this this book, I think, kind of really solely put him back on the side of the Animorphs and the humans. And uh, just just the fact that he's there and involved in the moment and everything seems so wrong, but yet it's so right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say let's <laughs> let's jump straight in our reviews because I, I think you're already starting to get into yours. So why don't you go first? Yeah, if you want me to, I will. And um. 
this this book was such a blast i i truly regret that i think i only read it once in uh in my life which was the the great college reread of 2009 or whenever we did that and i i um i i breezed through it really quickly it's not to say i didn't enjoy it back then but i i was on a mission to just speed read the entire uh, series, right? So I, I was really only paying attention to the big what happened in this book. Okay, they blew up the Yurk Pool. Great, that's it. Um, reading it as an adult, I realized just how much stuff is crammed into this book. The the character interactions between Axe and Cassie, Axe and Jake, Axe and Rachel, Axe mm-hmm. and Tobias. The only thing they don't care about is Axe and Marco. And uh, th- there's plenty of other good good character interactions involving the parents, involving uh, the, the new army government agent people that, you know, uh, they might be one-off characters, but they are still so welcome. Animorphs has always done one-off characters so well that we often find ourselves saying, oh man, I wish they would have brought back so-and-so from that one book uh the the kid from the outback i wish you know australian (laughs) andy or whatever his name was i wish he'd come back (laughs) or whatever you know and and captain olsten is no different like a, a smart competent person who is taking orders from jake and uh yeah like that's that's feasibly more of a a character that i could see on on uh following and yeah, I mean, it, it's just a solid book. Like the, the setup, like we said, it follows the formula to a point, but doesn't um, doesn't stick to it so much that it's, it's you know, predictable. The the way that the formula might have worked in the past was when they infiltrated the, the base for the bombs. Uh, they'd have gotten caught, led to a battle, and then... You know, again, it, it would have been some reason for them to evade the uh, the government or the, the army. <clears throat> Seeing them actually teaming up with the authorities that they used to avoid is really cathartic, I think, for us. Yeah. Um, because they spent so much of the series trying to make this a secret, secret invasion. And uh, it, it, now that they're playing by completely different rules... It's it's almost like an entirely different series. I mean, early game Animorphs, the secret invasion stuff is so different from the the public war stuff here that we're getting at the end. And uh, like I said, I, I think this book just does so much justice for Axe as a character for his final book in the series um, that is solely him, I should say. Uh, I, I just really dig what they did with it. And... I, I know you're probably going to have nice things to say, and that's cool, but I I couldn't more highly recommend if you're rereading the series, not even just for like the, I want only the, the books that progress the plot, because there's no doubt this thing does that. These All these last ones are going to do that. This one, I really want to call attention to the character interactions and just how fun it is to have all the characters at their maximum personality. It, I mean, we are getting maximum Rachel at her most deranged. We are getting uh, a maximum depressed Jake who is soldiering on and actually running into some successes and like 
being an active leader and and just doing a really good job we get cassie who is not only the voice of morality but she is um bringing in new arguments into the table and and just you know breaking the tropes that they they used to be uh i i think it's a solid book and i can't praise it highly enough or or more and i want to hear you praise it so i'm gonna i'm gonna drop my score it is going to be an uh five out of five um raccoon late night calls (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean you're not gonna you're not gonna hear me dump on this book um i'm gonna do some bold takes though i'm gonna say not only is this the best most important axe book in the series i think this might be the best most important cassie book in the series which there's definitely some cassie books that are are well known throughout the fans and and really important but um more so than any other book i think this one has convinced me that cassie won the war um her ideas and her her ideology and and her ethics that we made fun of so much at the beginning of the series and and everybody kind of talks like a joke um her soul and and what she chooses to to do and and be as an animorph um is probably the only thing that saved them and and saved the galaxy uh it's it's never been highlighted more than in this book in my mind um which is crazy. I mean, we we tour on Cassie all the time. And then Axe, not only does this cover all of our favorite aspects of Axe, uh, other than him dealing with human morph, we didn't see that in this book, but uh, his relationship with the Andalite government, his relationship with the rest of the Animorphs and feeling like an outsider, um, his making decisions uh, based on his alien ethics and morality and, and specifically being an Andalite, we see all of that in this book. And we see one of the best character arcs of anyone in all the books in this. Him real time changing his mind on what kind of animorph he wants to be, what kind of soldier he wants to be is amazing. And we really haven't gotten character arcs like that for anyone else in the series. We've seen changes and we've seen decisions being made and stuff like that. But this is a full character arc that's in depth and and has a lot of emotional reasoning and, and highlights to it. So, um. It's crazy to me, crazy to me that this book existed and I never checked it out before. Um, I, I'm I'm less of a fan for have not found this book earlier and, and dived into it. Um, so with all of that said, I have to give this a five out of five jackknifing trains. Um, it's incredible. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's it's, it's one of the most important books in the series and, and one of the darkest um most action-packed most well choreographed action uh books in the series like the action is very clear and defined what's going on it's exciting it it ramps up and down uh just uh, it's, it's got to be one of the best ghost written books in the series as well it's just it's on point every step of the way so i can't it's, it's, can't speak highly enough of it <laughs> yeah it's totally warranted Every, everything that we're saying is on par. Uh, I I think we hadn't even really brought up uh, Axe's relationship with Elfengor and like how that equates into this either. I brought it up. <laughs> you, you touched on it, yes, yeah. of course, of course. But uh, that that's another very poignant thing is you know 
he wants to be so badly like his brother um, because his brother is so fame, famous and, and well-respected and everything, but he knows his brother did this terrible thing and gave away the morph, the precious morphing technology that, you know, to, to anybody else gives it away. They're traitors that need to be executed. But this is like his inner conflict where my brother's the greatest celebrity person, can't do anything wrong, yet he clearly did this thing that we all say is bad. And now Cassie did that thing and I'm super mad at her. Yeah. But it's it's so complex when you think about it. If you think about all of the Animorphs um, series long arcs, you know, you have Rachel dealing with the fact that she she's realizing she's bloodthirsty and in love with the war. You have Marco and his mother and trying to free her. You have Jake and his brother, Tom. Like these are the series arcs. Axe's arc was always understanding why his brother did what he did. That was his arc from yeah. the beginning, not understanding why he gave them morphine technology and and kind of like falling in love with humanity kind of gets it. This is the book where he finally understands and, and pulls closer to his brother because of the events of this book and, and finally understands him, which is it's a big deal. It's, it's definitely a more um, it's not a huge payoff like Marco freeing his mom finally after all those years. Um but yeah. it is it is very much a, a huge character moment for Axe, so it's, it's just cool to see. It's yeah, and it, it's mostly because it's an internal conflict. So the resolution is just him, you know, being more positive. I could have or, used or the ghost of Elfanger coming back and <laughs> finally, brother, you understand me, and oh, then he like, shoots like off with the time ghost. matrix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think we had a we had a blast reading this, and uh, whoo, we're, we're getting to it. I gotta tell you, it it was so good that the next day I picked up our next book, The Answer, and I already read it. So wow, we're we're looking forward to putting these things out now because we've got a lot to say about these last couple of books. And if we're super lucky, uh, we'll have some cool co-hosts, guest co-hosts, that will also have a lot to say on a number of topics, including Animorphs. Nate! <laughs> <laughs> Nate, friend of the show! <laughs> no, yeah. Nate. We don't want to announce anything yet because nothing's like locked in. But hopefully we'll be able to get some cool, very much franchise relevant uh guest host to come join us um i would still love to get the uh actors from the original show together <laughs> for an oh episode. yeah that would be really cool to to figure out a way to i mean it's, people have reached out to them before and they've done like interviews and stuff but um i don't know if they've shown up on any podcasts no, well, maybe a full reunion for the first time ever would be the, uh, On the appropriate speak. setting. <laughs> that would be the appropriate setting and time to get all of that. Just the kids. Uh, and, and maybe the guy who played uh, Visor 3 in his human morph. Cause we don't even that know if that guy's alive anymore. He was pretty old in, in the 90s. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he's still around. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I don't want to overpromise on that department, but I think we can all agree there's some exciting episodes coming up, and uh, we're, we're happy that, I mean, we're not happy that the podcast might end, but happy to have this living directory of our thoughts and feelings on this series, and um, we've, we've been there for a long time doing this podcast, uh, back when there weren't any other podcast there were youtube essays and things like that but as far as on itunes we were we were one of the first if not the first podcast and um a lot of podcasts have come and go since (laughs) was that was that 2014 we started i think it was 2014 yeah we're not like bragging or or trying to like show off when we put when we change the name of the podcast to the original animorphs podcast we're just trying to tell everybody how old we are and that we've been uh trying to finish this for so long so if you've been with us from the beginning, I'm glad we could finally get these out to you and and uh, finish our promise of, of finishing the series. And hopefully we have some fun episodes coming up. Heck yeah, that's the plan anyway. So uh, again, you know, if you want to stick with us to the end, you can check out our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash thoughtspeakcast. And yeah, uh, leave us some ratings and or reviews on whatever your favorite podcasting platform is. That helps yeah, us grow I, the show. I talk a lot about iTunes, and iTunes is obviously important to any podcast. But whatever player you, I listen to, like I use Pocket Casts, like that app and stuff. So any podcast app you you use and listen to, um, leaving a rating on there boosts our show and gives us some more people, and you don't have to pay anything. Um, if you do want to pay something, our Patreon's great. We also have a I think it's like a tip jar on our anchor page, which people can use. It's like straight PayPal and stuff, so that's easy. Um, but just, you know, whatever level you enjoy the show, support us in whatever way you're comfortable with. We never want to put anybody out or, or make them pay something they, they can't afford or something. So we just we just appreciate you listening and, and enjoying our content. So um, Yeah, I don't think we've ever mentioned it, but the entire show is on YouTube as well. So if you prefer YouTube... Uh, hit that up and maybe watch some of your old favorite episodes. Leave a comment for us on there, too. It'd be uh, super cool to grow the YouTube channel, even though we're not using it. But the entire show will be backed up on YouTube eventually. You can see on YouTube, you can see live versions of the show where you actually see our faces and us talking multiple ways. That's not so. a good idea or, or something that I even want anybody to go look at at this oh, point. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, but I'm just saying, not our YouTube channel... Me has other things it has all the artwork is on our youtube channel too for each episode um, there you go that's the best reason to look at the youtube just for coleman's art yeah i appreciate that um and my sweetheart i don't even know if i want to do a <laughs> raccoon for this one because it's like oh he showed up in one scene so he gets cover art i don't know not not in my podcast <laughs> hmm you could just do axe you could do an andalite that's true i've done a couple axes in the past uh, anyway well, I appreciate everybody listening, and we are so excited to have you back. And uh, reach out to us, send us messages, and we'll see you on the next one. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>